let's dive into it. Before we do, uh, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a background of what's going on here because Jesus has come to the finale of a sermon. This is his closing arguments, if you will, for this message that he's been preaching through Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and he's wrapping up in chapter 7. And he started out with the Christian ethos, with our ethic, with a kingdom ethic from beyond. The Sermon on the Mount is a kingdom sermon of how to live the kingdom life, and the Beatitudes are the structure for that. So he says, here, here is your structure of what it looks like and what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, and to be salt and light into the earth. He finishes chapter 5 by giving some examples of how that plays out. He rolls into chapter 6, and he begins to interpret the law through the Spirit. So he says, now we're moving to a place of the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. You have heard, but I say to you. In other words, it has been said, but this is what it means to your spirit. This is how it informs your spirit. Chapter 7, we rolled into judgment. We ran through ask, seek, knock. And now Jesus is wrapping up the sermon. And we're going to wrap it up by looking at Exodus 24, verse 3. Um, let, let's all be Jews for a minute. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's be Jews. Come on, just a few people maybe. Are we? Shalom, shalom, shalom. Let's, let's be Jews. He, here, is, here is what this would have meant in context. you got to almost be a Jew to receive this in context, okay? Receive in context what's happening here. Exodus 24, verse 3 says, When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Catch this. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Now catch this. At every major juncture in their history, from the Exodus to entering Sinai to crossing the Jordan to entering the Promised Land, the people of God were summoned to hear God's voice and to do what he says. It happens again, beginning and ending of the book of Joshua. He calls the nation of Israel together and he says, okay, here is my will, now go and do it. And the people respond, we will do everything that you have said. Happens again in Ezra, after the exile, rebuilding of the temple, renewing the covenant. And he says, now here is my will, go and do it. And they respond, we will do everything that you say. So, when Jesus climbs up on top of a mountain, and he begins to posture himself as the lawgiver and the prophet. And he begins to speak in a way that fulfills everything that Moses had previously said. He is positioning himself as the Messiah and the final prophet. They were obligated to receive him as the final prophet. You catch this imagery. You see him walk up on this mountain. Remember, we're all Jews. We're sitting there. He calls us together. He walks up on this mountain, and he begins to teach, and he's teaching in fulfillment of everything that we've ever known, of everything that we've ever learned. And we start saying to ourselves, this is it. This is God. This is the Messiah. This is the prophet that we have heard about. This is what our history has taught us. And every single time God's voice came before the people, it was to renew them to do what he's called them to do. Not only that, but then he offers them this two-way teaching. As if that wasn't enough, he rolls into this two-way teaching, and this two-way teaching is laced throughout Jewish history, okay? So again, he is tapping 
deep into their heritage. He's not giving them a message on a Sunday morning that you can run away with. He is saying, let me take you back to your childhood. Let me take you back to everything you've ever memorized. Let me take you back to everything you've ever been taught. Let me take you back to everything that you've known about God. And let me open your eyes to who he is now. So he starts with this two-way teaching. I'm going to give you a few examples of where it appears in the Old Testament. Uh, We'll start with the historical book. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. He says, now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death. Between prosperity and death. And disaster. Here it is in the poetic and prayer literature, Psalm 1, verse 6. He says, For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Here it is in wisdom, Proverbs 2, 8 through 11. Said he guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Here it is from a prophetic literature. Jeremiah 21.8. It says, tell all the people, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice of life or of death. So we have Jesus. He's positioned himself as the prophet, the Messiah. He's fulfilling everything that Moses has taught about. They're seeing him do this, and then he goes to finish the sermon, and he says, guess what? I'm going to give you a choice. Instantly, what do you think they thought? They thought back to Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. They thought back to Psalm 1. They thought back to Jeremiah 20. They thought, they thought, oh my goodness, now he's giving us the two-way teaching. Now he's saying, here's your choice, you pick. And of that two-way teaching, there are four of them that we're going to cover today. There are two gates, two trees, two responses, and two foundations to wrap it up. But first, let me, let me share this. Um, when I was a kid, I got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> no kidding, Right? I love that response. People hear that, like, oh, yeah, I would have never guessed that. Well, thanks, you know. Um, but I got in all kinds of trouble, and I remember one time I had gotten into trouble. Principal called my mom. I showed up at home, and my mom said to me, all right, I'm done with this. You get your choice. She said, do you want the belt, or do you want to be grounded to your room? That's a no-brainer, right? The belt was my dad's. It was like this, like, six-inch leather belt. It was woven. And it was basically like a cat of nine tails, what they whipped Jesus with. You know what I mean? It was like, like this mat. <laughs> Today, it would be child abuse. Then it was just disciplining your children. You know, God forbid we discipline a child. And so it had this, this leather belt. And it was like, you want the belt or do you want to be grounded to your room? And I was like, easy. Ground me. And she said, okay, you're getting the belt. I said, you're a liar. You can't do that. You gave me a choice. And sure enough, the belt comes out. and it's, But no, I'm just kidding. It was light. It was gentle. It was don't call CPS. You know? And then so I, I got the belt. And then after the belt, it was like a week later, I got into trouble again. And I came home, and my mom said, okay. She said, you got a, you got a choice. She said, do you want the belt, or do you want to be grounded to your room? Look, I'm smart, right? I'm discerning. I got this figured out. I said to her, give me the belt. And she said, okay, you're getting the belt. I said, no, you can't do that. And I I recognized something very quickly. I was given a choice, but there really was only one way. I was given a choice, but there was only one way and one way that was going to happen. And that was mama's way. Listen to this. When Jesus comes to us with two gates, two trees, two responses, two foundations, yes, you have a choice, but there's only one way. 
He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So you're going to hear all of these choices. But in the midst of these choices, you're going to hear the truth. You're going to hear the gate. You're going to hear the tree. You're going to hear the response. And you're going to find the foundation. The choice at the end of the day is up to you. But the right way is crystal clear. Let's dive into them. Number one. Two gates. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus, catch this, is not calling people to go down one of two paths. Okay? This is not a... Thank you for that, by the way. God bless you. Would you, would you just... Give Andy a hand. You read my mind. Cheers, you're back, finally. My goodness, I've missed you little idiots. Oh. Good. College students, when you're gone and I chug a water, they don't sit there like this. When a college student sees, oh, cheers, brother, go, hammer down. Go, go, go. Okay, two gates. I was, I was kidding about the, you know I love you, it's Ben. I love, I love Ben. Let me read it again. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is not saying pick one of two paths with the gate. He's not saying, hey, here is, here is one path, here is another path. Remember, he's giving a choice, but the way is crystal clear. John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. He is not calling people to just pick away. He's giving a choice, but he's saying the direction is clear. It's me. If you want to enter the path of life, it's me. If you want hope, it's me. If you want to find life, it's me. If you want to find green pasture, it's my gate. He is calling people unto himself. He starts off his closing message by saying, you better check your path because you have a choice, but the way is clear. I, uh, I hate snakes. Anybody else? Anybody else? I hate them. Uh, the other night, I was going to shut the water off. My, my sprinkler was running in my front yard, and it was like 9 o'clock at night, and I walked outside, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit did this because I would have went out and never came back if I, if I did. I, I walked out there, and I was like, man, I should turn a flashlight on. It's dark, and I'm bare, I've got flip-flops on. So I, right when I click on my flashlight, I'm about to take a step, and that was standing there. Do you see that thing? And I was coming down, and I tried to turn pads, and everything's wet because the sprinkler was going, and I slipped through my flip-flops, and I halfway fell, and I thought he was chasing me. I could hear him calling my name, you know, and I was just trying to get away, and I ran off to my garage. And listen, by the way, show that thing again. I, it was like a rattlesnake, anaconda, something. Someone said, that's a gardener snake. They're harmless. Listen, ladies, don't, don't date that person. They probably have headless dolls in their bedroom and pet spiders. And, like, every snake is a bad snake. Every, my neighbor was like, what did you do with it? I hacked it up like my name was Rick Grimes. Like, I just, 
I chopped that thing to pieces and killed it. And then you know what happened? The, the, last night, I was going to change that water. Anna asked me, what are you doing? I was changing the batteries in this 2,000 lumen torch that I was going to take out with me. I was like, I will have a light that will light up everything because I'm not going back out there when I know that could be in my path. That's Jesus' first plea. He's saying, will you look at your path? Will you look at the path of your life? Will you look at the direction that you're going? Will you look at the things that you are doing? Will you look at the people that you are engaged with? Will you look at the things you're saying? Will you look at the habits that you're creating? There is one way, two choices, but one way. Will you come unto me and find life? Will you check your path and turn to the direction of life? Because there are two gates, but there's only one gate worth going through. Second thing he comes to, two trees. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Let me, let me make a very clarifying theological statement. We are saved by faith, judged by works. Catch this, because a lot of people land on one side or the other, like it's faith and it doesn't matter what I do, or it doesn't matter if I pray to receive Jesus, it's everything that I do and everything that I'm, I'm living and how I'm No, we are saved by faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 makes that so crystal clear, we are saved by faith, we are judged by works. Every judgment seen in the Bible is a judgment of works. If you're on the Church Center app, I put a bazillion examples of it in there for you. I'm going to read you one where Jesus declares it himself, Matthew 16, 27. He says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So again, there's two choices. There's bearing fruit or not bearing fruit. There's following the wrong thing and living the wrong way. And then there's following the right thing and beginning to live the right way. My, my son the other day, he was in my office and uh, he wanted to, to create some art. He was all excited about art. So he opened up my printer. He pulled the paper out. He left the printer drawer open. He opened my drawer. He got all my highlighters and pens. And I'm, I am very particular when it comes to my pens. I've got my pens. They all have lids. They all write with real ink. It's not these like bank pens, these little 50 cent, you know, messes. These are like real pens, right? And these nice highlighters. He takes the caps off of all of them. He draws this picture out and then he leaves the cap off of all the highlighters. He leaves the lid off of all the pens and then he gets a pair of scissors and he cuts out the pictures that he made. He leaves the, the clippings everywhere and then he gets out some tape and he tapes them all over my office, everywhere. And so I go up to my office, I see it, and I'm not thrilled, obviously. And I told him, he said, Daddy, I want to play with my tablet. I said, you ain't playing with nothing until you clean my office. Get in there, put the paper back in the printer, close the drawer, put the lids on the highlighters, the caps on the pins, put it back in the drawer, throw away your trash, put away the scissors, and clean the tape up. And he said, oh, okay, 
whatever. So I go downstairs, and I get to doing something. I come back upstairs about 30 minutes later. Guess what? My office is a mess. Caps and pens are everywhere. Nothing's been touched. Scissors are out. Clippings are everywhere. And I hear a tablet playing. Yeah, right? I hear it. You know how you have those moments where you flash in your mind? You don't actually take action, but you just flash. I flashed in my mind of myself snapping a tablet over my knee. Like I just, in my mind, I saw myself kicking open the door, taking the tablet, snapping it over my knee, and just tossing it in the air and walking out, right? And so I had this image in my mind. I didn't fulfill it. But I walked into his room, and he's sitting there, and I said, hey, he's just keep sitting there. I said, hey. He's still just sitting there. I walked over and I pressed pause on YouTube and he goes, what are you doing, dad? And I said, I don't know, son. Why has, is my office still a mess? I told you to clean my office. You know what he said to me? Oh, oh, oh dad, I cleaned it in my mind. <laughs> I swear to you. I, I cleaned it in my mind. And I thought, oh, well, I paid your bills and fed you in my mind. You know, get out. You can't just go all of your life with it right here and not here. You can't just go with it right here. You can't just go with it of like, yeah, I show up to church on Sundays and I do this. At some point, it's got to show up in your fruit, and that's a choice. That's choosing. That's saying, you know what, I'm going to be a good tree. You know what? I'm going to bear good fruit. And you know what? I'm going to connect to the vine that gives life, and I'm actually going to let people see it in my life Monday through Saturday. Jesus, in John chapter 15, walks us through how to do this. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Here it is. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What are you doing? What are you doing on a daily what, again, do your habits look like? What does your prayer life look like? How are you serving other people? What does your devotional life look like? Because at some point, it becomes this step in taking action in your life. Your faith becomes active unto doing things that God has asked you to do. We are saved by faith. We are judged, as Jesus said, by our works. So what are we doing? At some point, we've got to quit just trying to live one step above sin. At some point, we've just got to quit. Okay, man, I, I didn't look at that this week. I didn't drink too much this week. At some point, we've got to graduate from that, and the Holy Spirit has to begin working in us to a place where it's no longer, man, I just lived this week one notch above sin four out of seven days. But it becomes a man, I was living my faith, and I was witnessing to those in my office, and I had this opportunity to pray over somebody. And people are seeing fruit in me that is leading them to the life that God has called them. There are two trees, but only one tree worth being. Then he continues on. Two responses. Oh, this is a good one. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does my will, the will of my Father who is in heaven. That verse has been twisted so much to cause people to think that Christians won't be in heaven. It's not true. I'll share with you in a minute how, how it lays out contextually. 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. The words Lord, Lord is the Greek word kyrios. And what it meant at this time, remember, this is pre-death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Post-death burial resurrection of Jesus, it comes to mean a term that carries with it Christology or deity of Christ. Pre-Jesus' death burial crucifixion, it was just a term that meant teacher. It was a term of somebody who was in authority. You've watched the movies of a king, right? And they say, Here, my Lord, Anna makes me call her this at home. My Lord, I'll do the dishes. My Lord, yes, my Lord. Any, anything you need, my Lord, I will, I will take care of it for you. You've seen it, right? It was a phrase to reference someone in authority, and it was a phrase used to reference teacher. What they are saying here is, wow, Jesus says some cool things. Wow, Jesus, you're a pretty good teacher. I kind of like what you had to say. And then he says, but you will, you will say, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did this work. And he says, on that day, that is the day post-death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, there was this huge move, both in Jewish and Greek culture, to attain the power of God without following God. So they wanted what he had. They just didn't want who he was. Acts 8, verse 18 is a great example of this. It says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, listen to this, he offered them money to buy this power. What is he saying? I want what you can do. I just don't care much about who you are. Man, you're a great teacher, and you do really cool things, and if I can figure out how to mirror them, and man, if I can make money for it, praise God. But as far as, as, far as following you, I just don't know about all. This is where, uh, let me just do a little dad tangent for you. This is where the, the live your truth mantra drives me insane. Just live your truth. Do, be, be your, you, know, you know when this was happening first? This was happening in Greek mythology. The Greek philosophers, the philosophers, they were at a place right now where Jesus is talking to them. And they were searching for the meaning of life. They couldn't figure it out. And so when they became to this place where they were broken and they had no direction and they had no meaning, they started giving truth and deity to everything. You see this. They have so many gods and so many mythologies and all that because they were trying to find find meaning in truth. The problem was none of it was working. That's exactly what we do now. Find your truth. So some people find truth in a social justice or a political campaign. Some people find truth in living a moral life. Some people find truth in just making a bunch of money. I got I to gotta make a ton of money. I need to be a billionaire by the time I'm 30. That's my truth. That's what I'm living out. That's what I'm putting into the universe. That's what I'm calling for. That's what I'm planning to reciprocate to me is being a billionaire because that's my truth. For some people, truth becomes art. Because I, I'm going to make art, and I'm going to paint, and I'm going I'm to write, and I'm going to create, and I'm going to become this artist, and that's going to be my truth. And I'm going to put my truth out there is that here's the only problem. That truth cannot love you back. 
That truth cannot save you. That truth cannot redeem you. That truth cannot forgive you. That truth cannot comfort your soul. That truth cannot forgive your sins. That truth can't satisfy you. When your truth can't love you back, it becomes a tyrant. It just demands more of you. So then you've got to give more to it. And you're trying to become validated in this truth that doesn't have the ability to love you, to save you, to forgive you, or to redeem you. As the great Tim Keller said, if your truth can't love you, your love is untrue. If your truth can't love you, if it can't forgive you, if it can't redeem you, if it can't give you purpose, then your love is untrue. It's a myth. There's nothing to, it's what Jesus is saying here. I don't want to be your teacher. I want to be your truth. I don't want to be your teacher. I want to be the truth. I don't want you to have my power but not know me. I want to be your God. I want to be your Lord. And if you will give that to me, I will fulfill everything else that you're looking for. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He is the truth. And when he becomes the truth, we get to where we need to be. Guys, skip that picture. I'm going on to the next one. Two foundations. We'll finish here. Last one. He says there are now two foundations. You have two gates. You have two trees and two responses. And now we go two foundations. Matthew 7, 24 through 29. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What are those words? Go back and watch the previous eight messages. Those words are the Beatitudes. Those words are salt and light. Those words are the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Those words are to use judgment, but don't be a judgmental person. Those words are ask, seek, and knock to become all that God wants you to become. That's what those words are. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In other words, Jesus is saying, you hear my words, I become your foundation when you live them. You hear what I'm telling you. If you want to stand on a firm foundation, you don't want to be blown away. You don't want one rainstorm to come and wipe you out. Then I am the foundation. But you have to do what I said. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. We have two choices at the end of this message. To be stable or to be unstable. To be rooted and to be able to withstand any sort of trial, any sort of rain, any sort of, any sort of disaster. We have the power to do that by what we've been taught. Or we have the power to ignore it and be unstable. I was uh, driving on 45 and <clears throat> I hit major traffic. Man, I don't know that there is anything more miserable than being stuck on 45 and then like opening up your GPS and seeing red lines and over an hour delay. It's like, really? 
what am I going to do? Do I have enough gas? I have to go to the bathroom in a bottle? Like, this is just the worst thing. It's terrible, right? And I was, I'm talking stuck, stuck. We were, and when I'm in traffic like that, man, the enemy, I just have to instantly start quoting the fruits of the Spirit. I'm like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit, and this is who I will be in this traffic jam, right? Like, I just... <laughs> I get so annoyed so easily. I get so frustrated so easily. So I'm, I'm praying the fruits of the Spirit. I'm just talking to the Lord. It's on a Sunday after church, right? So I'm like, wow, God really worked on me there. Wow, I'm really annoyed and frustrated. I have a horrible attitude. Lord, fix me and all of this, right? So I'm sitting there and this tool, we'll call him a tool, this tool in this jacked up truck. Why is it always the dudes in the jacked up trucks? Like, what is, it, what is it about them that gives them the leeway to be better than everybody else? Um, I got friends that drive jacked up trucks. <laughs> Anyways, this guy, we'll call him a guy because I have friends that drive jacked up trucks. He comes around on the shoulder and he just hammers it, right? Black diesel smoke everywhere. And he goes flying by everybody. And I mean, I was, uh, I was so annoyed. Was like, beep, beep, beep. You know, I'm that guy that when someone's like going around, I get in that other lane and I just stay there. So you can't get by me. It just drives me crazy. So he does it. He flies down and then he gets this place where he starts to veer off of the highway and he's going down to the feeder. And I went from fruits of the spirit to the Lord get his truck stuck, right? Like, serve that man the justice of God today. And, so, and sure enough, I mean, it was one of the most glorious gifts the Lord has given in answered prayer. This guy hits the very bottom. He goes flying down. He hits the very bottom. And you know, it when it's like, it's like a boat going into water. It just, it just stopped and it began to levitate. And I was like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then you see all of this mud go flying up and the back end starts warming real good, you know, and he's, he is trying with all his might to get to the feeder and he's probably 20, 30 yards away. And I'm like, no, 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 Lord, no, no, put a hedge of protection around that truck and keep it in that dump, right? Like make it stay. And sure enough, it just screeches to a halt and then you see it sink down <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord, you are good. You are good in this place. Oh, Lord. My. And so it sinks, and he's stuck. And I'm watching him, and he gets out, and he's looking at his truck, and he's doing it. And what was funny is some other uh, guys were, were doing the same thing. They thought, oh, we'll just follow him down. And then right when he got stuck, they're pulling off this way and this way, trying to stop. It's just a jammed up mess. And I'm like blind leading the blind. Hallelujah. You know? And so he's sitting there staring. About 45 minutes later, Traffic begins to move, and nobody can get to him because the feeder is jammed up, the highway is jammed up, and he's got trucks piled up behind him, right? He's not going anywhere, and he just this, that, and the other, and we all start moving, and we start driving by him. And, you know, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. I hope it all works out, you know? <laughs> God bless you. It's great. But what happened? He tried to take a route that the foundation wasn't ready for. He tried to take a route. He tried to go on a path where there wasn't enough stability to sustain him. And what did we do? We stayed on the path that was meant to get us where we were supposed to go. And it looked like for a minute he had it all figured out. But what did he wind up with? Stuck. Not going anywhere when we just cruised 
on by it. It's how we end this entire sermon. I'm telling you, if you want to get unstuck, if you want to have purpose, if you want to live life and life abundantly, if you want your soul satisfied, if you want God to be glorified through you, if you want a new level of worship, listen, college students, if you want this to be your greatest semester spiritually that you have ever had, if you want to see God do in you and through you what you never could have imagined. We have the blueprint. It's just a matter of what foundation you're standing on. It's just a matter of what path you're going to stick to when temptation comes, when lies come, when influence comes, when things try to pull you off of the place that God wants you, when you root your feet on it. You say, I am standing on solid ground, and I don't care if I am the only person standing on this solid ground. I will stand on the foundation of God's word. I will stand on the goodness of God. I will stand on the Beatitudes. I will stand on being salt and light. You you will see something. You will see everyone else that chooses not to begin to do this. And you will see yourself rooted. You will see yourself standing. I remember, I didn't even plan to share this with you. Give me two minutes. I remember going into college as a freshman. I was playing baseball at a, at a university, and I got there, and I had just really gotten serious about Jesus. I just really started deciding I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to honor the Lord and I'm going to do what he wants. And when I got there, everybody was partying. Everybody was losing their minds. And if you're an athlete, you get to be a part of all of these things. And it was just so sinful. It was so ungodly. And I decided, Andy asked me the other day, what are a couple decisions that you have made in your life that you think attribute to where you are now? And one of the ones I said is, I resisted when everybody else was indulging. And I remember spending lonely nights by myself. I remember wondering if my friends were really my friends. I remember wondering if anybody cared or if I was going to be alone. I remember wondering all of these things. But now, now, after deciding to stand on the foundation, then seeing what God has done now, I'm the guy who gets the phone calls from everybody else. I'm the guy they call and say, hey, listen, man, my life's a mess. Hey, I know we haven't talked in 10 years, but I got married. I had a kid and my wife's leaving me. Hey, man, I know we haven't talked in a while, but my dad passed away and I'm questioning things about life. And there was a time where I looked at them and thought, am I missing something? And now they're looking to me and they're saying, I need something. And it has nothing to do with me, but the foundation I chose to stand on. And it's the same foundation for you. God has firm ground for you. He's got firm foundation for you. He has life for you. He has hope for you. He has a future for you. He has a purpose for you. Where are you going to stand?